They were indeed a queer-looking party that assembled on the bank, the birds with draggled feathers and the animals with their fur clinging close to them, and all dripping wet, cross and uncomfortable. The first question, of course, was how to get dry again. In that case, said the dodo solemnly, rising to its feet, I move that the meeting adjourn for the immediate adoption of more energetic remedies. Speak English, said the eaglet. I don't know the meaning of half those long words, and what's more, I don't believe you do either. And the eaglet bent down its head to hide a smile. Some of the other birds tittered audibly. What I was going to say, said the dodo in an offended tone, was that the best thing to get us dry would be a caucus race. Welcome back to Making a Monster Extinction, the companion podcast to Book of Extinction, a unique 5th edition bestiary telling the stories of lost animals alongside fantasy versions fit for tabletop role-playing games. Despite dire predictions to the contrary in my last episode, the 5th edition core rules are now in the Creative Commons, and this project is going forward as planned. Book of Extinction launches on Kickstarter tomorrow. There are more than 70 extinct animals resurrected in this book, but perhaps none is more iconic than the missing mystery of the masquerines, the dodo. And to understand this truly bizarre beast, you need to understand two things— island gigantism, and flight initiation distance. So in this episode, we're going to discover how the dodo got its beak and its reputation, and then we're going to run it through the game design gauntlet and make it a monster. If you want to follow along with this build, you can follow the link in the show notes to download the dodo's historical and mythical stat blocks right now and add them to your game. And follow the project on Kickstarter to see everything that comes in the book and everything that comes with. Part the first, the funny-looking bird. What is a caucus race, said Alice. Not that she wanted to know, but the dodo had paused as if it thought somebody ought to speak, and no one else seemed inclined to say anything. Why, said the dodo, the best way to explain it is to do it. And as you might like to try the thing yourself some winter day, I will tell you how the dodo managed it. First, it marked out a race course in a sort of circle. The exact shape doesn't matter, it said. And then all the party were placed along the course here and there. There was no one, two, three, and away, but they began running when they liked and left off when they liked, so that it was not easy to know when the race was over. However, when they had been running about half an hour or so and were quite dry again, the dodo suddenly called out, The race is over! And they all crowded round it, panting and asking, But, but who has won? The world's only population of dodos lived on coastal regions of the uninhabited island of Mauritius, middle island of a range called the Mascarines, a volcano-formed archipelago in the Indian Ocean just east of Madagascar. Creatures like these in isolated ecosystems often follow an ecobiological trend called Island gigantism, in which species get larger or smaller than their continental counterparts depending on the available resources. Like the coconut crab, the giant moa, and the giant tortoise, dodos adapted to an environment with reduced predation, reduced biodiversity, reduced sexual selection, and reduced parasite diversity. In other words, there's no one else around, so uh, why not live on island time? 
By the time Dutch sailors discovered the bird in 1598, the dodo had become a 40-pound flightless pigeon best suited to fighting other dodos for fallen fruit. To the Dutch, a stew waiting to happen. They seemed to regret making those stews because they swiftly named the bird Volgvogel, which loosely translates to disgusting bird. The dodo went extinct too fast for a solid body of evidence to be created about it. Most of what we know about the bird is romanticized, conjectured, or a near miss. We know from the stews, in fact, that dodos swallowed stones to aid in digestion. Almost all of the skeletal evidence of dodos was discovered in a Mauritian swamp called Marais Assange, nearly paved over by a runway for the Mauritius International Airport much later. Further confusing the matter, later authors may have used the name dodo to refer to the Mauritius Red Rail, making their evidence suspect. There is even record of a mysterious white dodo on the neighboring island of Réunion, although written accounts of that species could just have easily referred to a white ibis or to a bird that never existed at all. Many museums exhibit stuffed dodos. All are fakes, made from the feathers of other birds, most of the oldest and best having been made by the Roland Ward Corporation in Piccadilly, London. The one entire stuffed dodo resided in the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford until 1755, when, on annual inspection, it was found to be in such bad condition that it was removed from display. Only the head and the foot of this specimen survive to this day. By the time Dutch settlers arrived on Mauritius in 1640, the species was practically extinct. Introduced predators like rats, cats, pigs, and monkeys did the rest by the late 17th century. Part the second. Flight distance. But who has won? This question the dodo could not answer without a great deal of thought, and it sat for a long time with one finger pressed upon its forehead, the position in which you usually see Shakespeare in the pictures of him, while the rest waited in silence. At last the dodo said, Everybody has won, and we must all have prizes. But who is to give the prizes? Quite a chorus of voices asked. Why, she, of course, said the dodo, pointing to Alice with one finger, and the whole party at once crowded round her, calling out in a confused way, Prizes! Prizes! Alice had no idea what to do, and in despair she put her hand in her pocket and pulled out a box of confits. Luckily, the salt water had not got into it, and handed them round as prizes. There was exactly one apiece all round. But she must have a prize herself, you know, said the mouse. Of course, the dodo replied very gravely. What else have you got in your pocket? He went on, turning to Alice. Only a thimble, said Alice sadly. Hand it over here, said the dodo. Then they all crowded round her once more, while the dodo solemnly presented the thimble, saying, We beg your acceptance of this elegant thimble. And when it had finished this short speech, they all cheered. The dodo got a reputation as clumsy, foolish, and lazy long before Lewis Carroll's account painted it in those colors. And the reason why is probably Charles Darwin tossing iguanas off a beach. See, animals in remote regions lose their fear of people, or perhaps never learn it in the first place. Where your average backyard songbird will take flight if a pedestrian comes within 10 meters of it, Creatures in isolated ecosystems will permit pedestrians to come often within arm's reach of them. This is called flight initiation distance, or the threshold of disturbance, and the apparent lack of it was incredibly puzzling to naturalists like Darwin. 
During his famous visit to the Galapagos Islands, Darwin conducted an experiment in which he walked right up to a basking iguana, grabbed it by the tail, and threw it into the ocean. The iguana swam back to the exact same spot on the shore at Darwin's feet. Darwin picked it up and threw it right back into the ocean, and the iguana swam right back to shore. The cycle was repeated many times without any change in the iguana's behavior. The experiment fascinated Darwin. He concluded that the iguana must be more afraid of whatever was in the water than whatever was on land himself included. I mean, after all, running away costs calories, and calories are hard to come by, so why waste them if you don't need to? With no understanding of this biological concept, it's no wonder the dodo's naive curiosity was mistaken for stupidity. And yet, despite all of these missteps and misimaginings, or perhaps because of them, the dodo is much beloved. Yes. yes. I love that the dodo is in here. This <laughs> that is so sucked great. me right in. This 100% is... there was going to be a dodo. It wasn't well, even Well, and an this option. feels like you, this should show, this it could totally or should totally be a wizard familiar. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is John's wizard familiar. If John, if John was a dwarven wizard, no. The do- yes, it would. Yes, it would. Scroll down. Scroll down. I joined Zach, John, and Troy on the Geeks Can't podcast this month to chat about monsters and share the design philosophy of Book of Extinction. And maybe it shouldn't have been, but it was surprising to me how much they really latched on to the dodo. I'm scrolling down. Here we go. Okay. Uh, Mind of its it, own? No. <laughs> the the galumph. The galumph? Okay. The dodo yeah. speaks a frab, frabjous uffish word. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. I'll, I'll accept. Frabjous is you cannot, crazy to me. You <laughs> cannot argue that that not only not only is this your your familiar, it's also your spirit animal. A okay, writing spirit animal? Look, let me tell you something. I always appreciate when, uh, when writers have the balls to put words on there that people have to go look up. <laughs> I love that, man. I love it. Like, I know what the, I know what those words mean. You can figure it out based on, on context, too, yeah. right? Oh, but yeah. To me, like, I was – like, we talked about it on the show a dozen times before, but, like, I love being challenged by words and being introduced to new words and expanding my vocabulary. So I, I was already sold on the dodo anyway. Just because it's a, it's a if, if John, if John Troy was, a, had to go and bring up. <laughs> if John was a young wizard at Hogwarts and he was learning to cast a Patronus spell, that's the, dodo so that's, hard, baby. It would be it would be a dodo. That's right. That's yeah, man. Shame in my dodo game. These things uh, are ridiculous. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's great. That's I I read through that and I'm like. I got, I'm going to back this. <laughs> I have to back this. I, I, I didn't even look at anything else yet. It's like, <laughs> yes. There's a lot of poetry, good and bad, about the dodo. Sir Thomas Herbert's 1634 account is, I think, the most prosaic. First here only is generated the dodo, which, for shape and rareness, may antagonize the phoenix of Arabia. Her body is round and fat, few weigh less than 50 pounds. It is reputed more for wonder than for food. Greasy stomachs may seek after them, but to the delicate they are offensive and of no nourishment. Her visage darts forth melancholy, as sensible of nature's inquiries in framing so great a body to be guided with complemental wings, so small and impotent that they only serve to prove her bird. Her eyes are small and like to diamonds, round and rolling. 
Her clothing, downy feathers, her train, three small plumes, short and improportionable. Her legs suiting to her body, her pounces sharp, her appetite strong and greedy. The dodo is a funny-looking bird with a funny-sounding name that never knew what hit it. And there isn't a more fitting icon of extinction. The dodo was no match for regular humans, let alone fantasy adventurers. So in a moment, I'm going to show you how we punched it up and designed the creature to fit in your tabletop game. But let me add a brief reminder to follow this project on Kickstarter. Book of Extinction contains dozens of true stranger-than-fiction stories just like this one, and more than 130 monsters to add depth and danger to your 5e game. Visit deadmonstermanual.com or follow the link in the description to see what's inside and what comes with our add-ons and stretch goals. The choices that we make can create ecosystems and ecologies that support greater biodiversity, not less. And one of the best ways to start doing that is to do what D&D players do best. Tell stories. And if you're bringing these creatures in your game, they're going to be alive in a way they otherwise never could be. This project launches tomorrow, and the first 48 hours are critical. And the success of this project isn't just about me or the incredible creative team we've put together. It's about lighting a beacon and showing the world that we care about doing more with this game we love and doing more for the world we've been given. Part the third, making a monster. There is an 18-step blueprint for 5e monsters in the back of the Dungeon Master's Guide, and I've gotten pretty familiar with it over the course of the last two years. But I want to walk you through just the highlights of that process to introduce you to the monster we've made from the Dodo's legacy. In a handful of cases, the creatures in Book of Extinction had already inspired legends of their own, like Host's Eagle and the Hakawai, or the Japanese Wolf and Okuri Inu. Carol's work certainly qualifies as a pre-existing mythos, and it inspired our choices on the dodo as well. Again, if you want to follow along with this build, you can grab the dodo's stat block for free at magehandpress.com or by following the link in the description. Step the first, give it a name. What are we going to call this thing? Volgvogel was an early choice, but quite aside from the fact that it's very difficult to spell, it doesn't really tell you a lot about what we wanted the book to be. So we opted for changing the vowels in Dodo and just calling it what Lewis Carroll did, Dodo. Step two, basic statistics. I mean, it's Wonderland. It wasn't going to be anything other than a fae. Mechanically, it's medium to match Alice, and it's chaotic neutral. I mean, I can't imagine there's anything evil or good about this thing. It's just sort of sideways. We've given it average intelligence, significant physical statistics, and a pretty impressive charisma score. Step six in the Dungeon Master's Guide is challenge rating. And looking at Lewis Carroll's account, the Dodo seems to come in the first tier of play. I mean, it's no Mad Hatter and certainly no Queen of Hearts, but we did want it to be able to hold its own. So we've set it at challenge rating four, the very top of tier one. And at this point, the Dungeon Master's Guide descends into specifics about how to build the creature's kit or the set of traits and actions that make it what it is. Of course, we're going to give it a pretty serious beak attack. Uh, I mean, with a schnoz like that, of course. We've borrowed from Lewis Carroll's language again to give it an action called Galumph that causes psychic damage to all who hear. And to top it all off, we've given it a stupefying gaze. If you look it dead in the eye, it's going to subject you to a kind of magical confusion that can leave you reeling. So here's how we brought it all together. Dodos of the Material Plane are lesser cousins of Feywild, which dwarf them in size and power. 
Standing six feet tall and bedecked in an ill-matched assortment of clothes, Duyudiers are polarizing members of fairy society. Attuned to the convoluted logic of its magical world, the Feywild Daudero is governed by methods and goals that are totally opaque to others. It never pronounces its short name the same way twice. It will often organize extravagant tea parties it never plans to attend, run ticker-tape election campaigns for offices that don't exist, or arrange nonsensical sporting events wherein it declares everyone the winner. This chaotic mental landscape is so potent that no divination magic can penetrate the dodo's thoughts, and even meeting its eyes can scramble the minds of more straightforward beings. Creatures that disrupt the dodo's incomprehensible plans may, through no fault of their own, find themselves the target of its ire. Thanks for listening to Making a Monster. If you like what you heard and you want to support the show, there is no more important thing you can do right now than to run over to Kickstarter and back the Book of Extinction. Every pledge on that campaign says that this work is worth doing and that you want to remember a wilder, more magical world and make it as real as Dungeons & Dragons can make it. You can also follow the show on every social media platform at SparkOtter. I'm going to be sharing updates and behind-the-scenes content from the Kickstarter as it progresses. I would love to see you there while I plan for the next episode of Making a Monster Extinction. We'll see you then.